How old is the earth? How old is the earth? I was at Forest View Elementary School in Durham, North Carolina a number of years ago, and I was working as a tutor. It was an after-school program, and I had an elementary school student sitting right next to me, and that was a question on his homework assignment. How old is the earth? And of course, because I have no idea how old the earth is, I did what any rational young person would do. I pulled out my phone to Google the answer. <laughs> and this young man just looked at me, he rolled his eyes, and he opened his textbook with a thud, as if we should probably go look for it. doing this earth science unit, he had learned about how at one time the earth was mostly water, but there was this one continent called Pangaea that separated from itself. He learned about tectonic plates and how they move together, and that's how volcanoes erupt. And he had learned, and he learned, and now he was being asked to find out how old the earth was. And so we look through the textbook, we, we flip pages, flip pages, and then there, at the bottom right-hand corner, was the answer. The earth is 4.54 billion years old. I said, write it down before we forget 4.54 billion years old. And then with a whisper he said, but that can't be right. I said, of course it's right, it's in the textbook. That's why we have textbooks, because they're right. And he said, no, it can't be right. And I said, why not? He said, because my pastor told me the earth is 6,000 years old. In the beginning. In the beginning. I can think of few verses in Scripture that have created more problems with interpretation than those found here at the very beginning of the book. These words, in the beginning, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, these words have vexed and they have inspired. They have built up and they have destroyed. They have been the start of faith for some and the end of faith for others. Genesis 1 is beginning, and not just a beginning to a story, but the beginning to the story. So how is it that these verses, found at the beginning of the book, have led to one of the largest debates in the last few hundred years? Why are the descriptions of God's creation at the heart of the debate between religion and science? Uh, Years ago, there was a man named James Usher who set out to date the earth. He wanted an answer to the question as well. So he dove deep into the Old Testament. He took genealogies and lifespans, and he calculated the exact time and date of creation. It was 6 o'clock in the evening on October 22nd, 4004 B.C. Therefore, according to his work, according to Usher, the earth is around 6,000 years old. However... With the advent of modern science and carbon dating and evolutionary biology, scientists have determined that the Earth is actually 4.54 billion years old. So friends, let me just stop for a second. There is a huge difference between 6,000 and 4.54 billion. For a very, very long period of time, the church was the predominant Leader in knowledge and all information. So when people had a question, they would go to the village priest. But when science began, and when it began to clash with religion, that's when the battle started. 
And the war between science and religion, it has cropped up again and again in a great number of ways. Like the fight between Galileo and the church, Darwin and the church, and even the American government and the church. And nowhere is this war more apparent than the debate of creation versus evolution. How old is the earth? It might seem like an innocuous question without too many ramifications, but how we answer that question comes with a lot of consequences. About a decade ago, the state of Kansas removed questions about evolution from their standardized tests for their students at the end of the year. This meant the teachers were still allowed to teach evolution, but the children would not be tested on it each and every year. And some Christians, of course, rejoiced in this great victory for the church, creation over evolution. But others were more concerned, concerned that the children of Kansas would pale in comparison to students from other states as they aged and even as they went on to college and the workforce. It would seem like the church has one answer to the question and science has another. Now, I can remember being in eighth grade at Carl Sandburg Middle School learning about evolution for the first time, and I thought it was so cool. I mean, picture me if you can with a lot more hair, with pimples on my cheeks, with a really sweet peach fuzz mustache. <laughs> Sitting in eighth grade learning about evolution, learning about how this single cell somehow, magically almost, split and became two, became a multicellular organism, found first in the sea. And those organisms grew and they became more complex. And eventually, they started to swim through the oceans and found their way to land. And then somehow, miraculously, they were able to breathe air. And they crawled on the earth and they flew in the air. And these beings, they developed more and more and more till the zenith, the peak of evolution, was us. In eighth grade, I thought this was the coolest thing in the world because the more I learned about evolution, the more I saw God's handiwork in all of it. I mean, who could have brought that first life into being, putting together those molecules and those atoms and those amino acids to make something we call life? Who could have had the kind of imagination to do something like that? To orient creation all the way until people like us showed up on the scene. However, at that same time, in eighth grade, while my faith was being enriched for a number of my friends, they stopped attending church altogether. Because while learning about evolution, their faith in church disappeared. What they heard in the classroom became more important than what they heard in the sanctuary. When they learned that the earth was far older than what they had heard from the pulpit, their faith was crushed and destroyed. I was blessed and fortunate to have pastors and mentors and friends who helped me to see the connections and the bonds between science and faith. But for my friends, they saw nothing but the battle. A lot of you wrote questions about science and religion, more than any other question we received. And I wasn't surprised. Because this so-called war between science and religion, it has gone on for a very long time. And it's something we almost never talk about in church. It's as if we let the world of science rule our lives Monday to Saturday, and we let church dictate what we do on Sunday, and never the two shall meet. 
And hear me when I say, there is conflict between science and religion. And the conflict exists because of us. The fault is ours. We Christians who become defensive when scientists learn more about the world instead of rejoicing in God's creative and strange majesty. We Christians who are too quick to jump ship about what we discover and how there's more to the world than what we can read about in the Bible. We Christians who see scientific discoveries as the works of the devil, and we label them as such. But science and religion, they have far more in common than we give them credit for. And to start the day, the word day in Hebrew, it's yom. And the word for day in Hebrew is not the same word we have for day now. When we read the word day, we conjure in our mind 24 hours. We see a clock, and we think about it spinning. We think about Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday. But the word yom is very different. In Hebrew, yom is a term used for time, but it's not a definite period of time. It's not 24 hours. It's not one year. It's just a period of time. So we can read in other verses, like in Psalm 90, it talks about, for a day with the Lord is like a thousand elsewhere. Even in Scripture, we read how the word for day has different meanings. So if we translated it just a little differently, it would say that in the beginning, God created light. And then after a period of time, God created celestial beings like planets and suns and solar systems. And then after a period of time, God created an atmosphere on the earth with water and with land. And then God created beings that started in the water and then flew in the air and then crawled on the earth. And then after a period of time, the last thing God created was us, humanity. Genesis and the rest of the Bible, it's not meant to be read as a science or a history textbook. The Bible, over and over again, it rejects our desire to become masters of the text and instead implores us to be servants of the word. We might be concerned with the how and the when of God creating, but the Bible only tells us the who and the why of God's creating. And then we can look at the way creation goes, and it is paralleled with what Darwin says in his book on the origin of species. Genesis, written thousands of years before Darwin was even born, before Darwin even came up with his theory of evolution, it follows the same order. In the beginning, there was light, there was energy. And after that, there became matter that was fused together, and we get atmosphere, and we get things in the ocean, and in the air, and on the ground, and humanity is last. It's the same order in Genesis, written thousands of years before And so knowing all of this, knowing the day as yom, knowing evolution as being paralleled in Genesis, Christians are able to hold that evolution is real, but that God is the one who set it in motion. There are people, there are Christians who are able to assert that the earth is 4.54 billion years old and God created it the way described in Genesis. They are able to take these seemingly opposed things, faith and science, and put them together in harmony. The sad thing about the Bible is that we treat it just like any other book. We want it to be our genealogy. We want it to be our history. We want it to be our science. But the Bible is not any of those things. We treat it like it's something less. And we import the ways we read other books on the way we read 
the Bible. And then, shamefully, sometimes we take it up and we use it as a weapon against other people. The Bible is unlike anything ever written. At times, it is historical. At times, it's scientific. And at other times, it's literary, and it's poetic, and it's hyperbolic, and every other form we can think of. The Bible is far less concerned with how things happened and is far more concerned with proclaiming that God is the one who made it happen. The Bible has the power to comfort us when we're afflicted and afflict us when we're comfortable. It can make us laugh. It can make us cry. It can bring us to our knees. It can make us dance. It identifies that God is creator and we are creature. It can harmonize with science and not be a tool used in the war against science. The Bible, it humbles us. It exalts us. The Bible is who we are. But more importantly, it's whose we are. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.